Hello and welcome to Opeka's Innovation in Care Collaboration podcast series. My name is Ken McGill. I am a solution-focused care senior scientist here at Opeka. Have as my special guest today, Emily Coddington, Associate Director of Wisconsin's Association of Family and Children Agencies. And she will be sharing with us how she, along with her team, created an amazing pilot, which began April 1st in order to prevent children who are in need of -of out-of-home treatment from leaving the state. The pilot is called Resource Connection Sessions, and she will share the vision that's been created in Wisconsin, which is to create a process for children with complex needs at risk of -of out-of-state placement that provides a universal format for sharing child information and engages system consultant expertise and representation from the continuum of care in Wisconsin to locate in-state treatment and services. Uh, This session is going to be amazing. So this podcast is going to give a lot of takeaways. So sit back, take some notes. And if you have any questions, Emily has even mentioned that she would be uh, able to send resources to anyone who is interested. I am so excited to welcome you. And it's with distinct honor and uh, privilege that I introduce to everyone, Emily Coddington, the Associate Director, Wisconsin Association of Family and Children Agencies. And Emily, you and I have a a kindred journey in in regards to uh, human services. I too have uh, celebrated a 20 year um, career and seeing that you went from direct care, supervisory, and even beyond into the management roles, uh, always with regards to keeping children and families safe and your work in child welfare in the state of Wisconsin is truly appreciated and uh, respected. And your focus in on supporting uh, children as well as their their parents and caregivers so that um, that passion of improving systems of care so that every child and family have what they need to to be the best they can be as well as as, uh, being safe. And I especially am very interested in your uh, service around out-of-home care, licensing and regulations. Um, and the fact that you are a, uh, also a clinician is uh, something that's really near and dear to my heart. And how you find the time to also be a professor and share that knowledge with students who are the upcoming, who are entering into our system uh, to help in this field um, is, is greatly appreciated and uh, incredible. So thank you. And I know that when we first spoke about this um, this session, I shared with you my work when I was a clinical director of a care management organization. So this topic in terms of keeping children and uh, youth within the state so they can receive the best care is near and dear to my heart. And thank you for allowing me to share this little story before I, I uh, fade into the background. Uh, we had a young person uh, leave our state and was about 1,500 miles away out of state. Uh, left when uh, they were about 14 years and out of home for six. And just shy of their 20th birthday, we received a call that they were originally from our area and they were going to return back uh, again within a two-week period. We had to plan. So imagine that this young person left for out-of-home treatment out of state when they were a freshman. And then uh, up to the adult stage or early adulthood, Um, left behind their family, their friends, their community. Uh, It was my uh, role to pick this young person up at the airport and only can imagine what it felt like when he was like, who's picking me up? Where am I going to go? Because he wasn't allowed to go back home and uh, his friends had moved on. And so we had to build from the beginning um, a team. And we did. We used wraparound and it was very successful because everyone just rolled up their sleeves. But I'm thinking of the kids um, that this maybe wouldn't be so uh, successful for and the challenges. Um, So this pilot that you created, um, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to take a lot of notes. And I know every single person who's tuning in now is really excited to hear about what's being done in Wisconsin. So welcome and thank you. 
Thank you. Yes, unfortunately, uh, we have good reason to be kindred spirits, and then we have some system improvement reasons to be kindred spirits. So, um, as I appreciate the introduction, uh, as Ken said, said, I am Emily Paddington, I'm the Associate Director with WAFCA. Um, I did not create this resource uh, connection pilot alone, so I just want to also give credit to the folks who worked with me on this. Um, there has been work done in Wisconsin for a number of years on the particular issue of children with complex needs um, being served out of state. And so um, when we finally decided that, you know, we couldn't wait any longer for some of the systems changes that were, were coming, um, but we're still a few years down the road, I did engage with a lot of our WAFCA members um, to say, okay, what kind of information on the front end do you really need to know in order to make a decision regarding whether or not you can serve the child? Um, and then also did a lot of work with our placing agencies, our counties um, primarily to say, what is it that you need in order to be able to move this forward? So a huge thank you. Um, to our providers and our placing agencies who've been part of developing the solution um, and for giving it a try because it is always good um, but challenging to try something new. So the process that we created uh, was to really uh, focus in on youth with complex needs who were at risk of out-of-state placement and provided a universal format for sharing child information. We have paper referral processes for the most part right now. Our, our um, state automated child welfare information system does not allow for easy referrals of information. So lots of people request different information um, and you have a lot of different provider agencies requesting it in a different way. So this process really sought to provide that um, streamlined format for sharing child information and also to engage system consultant expertise and representation from the continuum of care in Wisconsin so that we could locate treatment and services in state for our children rather than sending them out um, to receive that care elsewhere. So in essence, we really just wanted to kind of narrow the scope of the placement agency's search to those who had capacity to serve um, the child and family, and we also wanted to produce as many viable options as possible so that if one option didn't work, they had others that they could try, um, or, and I'll touch on this a little bit, if everybody else is, is functioning like Wisconsin is, um, our service capacity is pretty drained. So it might be that we need to have a combination of services rather than the specific thing that we're looking for um, in order to be able to at least keep the child in state and served. Um, some background information that I'm just going to cover really quickly, kind of the impetus behind our, our work here um, was that we had been watching our out-of-state numbers uh, climb. And from 2016 to 2020, we had a total of 250 children experiencing an out-of-state placement. Um, again, that's not a huge number over the span of five years, but when you look at the trajectory of these kiddos, you know, we had 44 who were leaving the state in 2015. And by 2020, we were up to 119 out-of-state placements for that year. So the trajectory was not going in the right direction, nor was our capacity statewide um, to provide care. And uh, given the pandemic that has put a additional wrinkle as far as capacity to serve, we knew that the trajectory was not going to be improving without some uh, additional methods. So um, we also, as part of this pilot, decided that we were going to launch it statewide because we had children from 46 counties who were receiving services for their children out of state. Um, I'm sorry. Yes, 46 counties. Okay. Um, and so I just wanted to let you know that we maybe bit off a little bit more than we could chew because we did decide to go statewide. And while that has not been a problem on the request side of things, we have plenty of counties from all over the state requesting sessions. It has been a problem when it's come to our provider capacity um, because we're still working to grow that pool of providers who participates. So I will revisit that later too, but I just wanted to point that out as kind of a, a strength and a weakness of our process here. And, um, and so, yes, go ahead. We, we definitely, this is not, not nothing that's unique to Wisconsin. This is, that's happening all across the entire 
uh, country and beyond. So thank you. Taking uh, this, and which started April 1st and moving it forward statewide is incredible. It really is. I just had to say that. It's been, it's been a turn. <laughs> thank you. So just as of January this year, there were 54 children out of state. Um, we do tend to hang around 50 to 60 children out of state at one time for Wisconsin. So that piece of data is not necessarily unique, but it is still concerning. Um, so, oops, excuse me. Some other information just regarding the background. We had some data through our um, child welfare information system that let us know what some of these kids were struggling with. So 83% who had experienced that out-of-state placement between 2016 and 2020, um, of those individuals, 83% were impacted by sexual abuse, and more than 60% had had uh, psychiatric hospitalizations. These data points are holding true as we continue with this pilot. Um, so I would say that these characteristics are pretty spot on based on just the data that we had alone. Um, what is interesting is that 74% of removals were related to the family being unable to manage the youth's behavior, and most were being served at home. So this data point is, is different than what we're experiencing in the pilot. Most of the children coming forward to have a session are kids who are actually disconnected from family, who do not have a permanent resource, um, and we are seeing a fair amount of, of kiddos who've had a disrupted adoption as well. So it's interesting to have before data and current data as well for us to be able to kind of compare and contrast what we're seeing. We are still seeing um, a large amount of our young people coming forward that have experienced a, a loss of connection with a primary caregiver, including um, the result of a death of a parent or incarceration, um, a TPR or adoption, and then just um, a loss of contact or sometimes no contact orders because of conditions that the parents are struggling with. Um, and I mentioned already the disrupted guardianship or adoption. And we do have um, a statistic about more than 50% being discharged to home after they go out of state, um, which is encouraging. Right now, I don't know that, that we would be seeing that um, with the numbers of children that we are currently experiencing that don't have a resource, um, but it has certainly come up as a goal for reunification for many of those who have participated. So that's kind of um, some of the background information. As a state, there have been multiple work groups kind of throughout the course of the last seven years, I would say, that have been um, focusing on creating resources. And we have lifted things like youth crisis stabilization facilities in our state within the last couple of years. But those other resources are things that are going to take time. For example, Wisconsin does not have a psychiatric residential treatment facility. Um, and so the Department of Children and Family and the Department of Health Services have agreed that that is something they're willing to um, develop. It is a need as far as our continuum of care is concerned, but that initiative in and of itself with rule writing and having to get the funding and the staffing and um, everything that goes into developing new businesses um, really is going to be, you know, a three to five year project. So that's not something that we could count on right now, even though it would be part of the solution. Um, and so we decided that we needed to take action because our kids and, and families can't wait. Um, and as I mentioned before, the, the status of the pandemic, as well as workforce shortages that are not necessarily contributing or, or a result, I should say, of the pandemic, but are a result of a lot of different shifts in Wisconsin's workforce. Um, are We're in a place right now where we just have to do something different. So We've asked people to become part of the solution, um, and we've put together resource connection sessions to see if we can't find options for our kiddos. As Kenneth kind of mentioned, we are, are leaping, and the net will appear. Um, so we're building the plane as we're flying it. Uh, even though we started in April, I would say we spent probably a good um, four or five months on the front end, just trying to have as few holes in the net as possible. Um, and even that being said, we are, are letting people know who are involved. This is a pilot project. We gather surveys every single session and we say what needs to be changed, 
How does that need to look? Um, and we take that feedback and we're able to, of course, correct very quickly um, in real time and, and try different things. So I will touch on that a little bit as well. Uh, but essentially our approach is one of trying to build a village for the entire state of Wisconsin. Um, and this is what I've mentioned before has been a bit of a challenge. So we have providers uh, representing the continuum of care to some extent. Um, we've had a really difficult time getting providers who are not connected to the out-of-home care system to become involved. So um, building that village takes time. We're getting there. We have additional uh, conversations with folks coming down the pike, but that will be one thing that I would say our approach that has been a challenge. We are keeping it simple and that um, is a little abnormal in child welfare, but it's ultimately where we landed as far as being able to um, communicate with one another and get these sessions going quickly. So when I say we're keeping it simple, we're using the Zoom platform for our sessions. Uh, we are using Microsoft Forms for our request. Um, we have very basic information available on our website, um, and we are monitoring who signs up and who participates. But beyond that, there is a, a certain level of security that is absent um, from, from what you would typically see in our normal child welfare practice. Um, that is also another reason why we are doing this. And uh, one of our state agencies is that because we have the ability to be nimble and to do these types of things, um, you know, when state agencies or, or county agencies maybe don't have the luxury of, of doing that. So as I mentioned, we're gathering feedback, we're course correcting. Um, and the other very specific thing that we're cognizant of is um, staying focused on the child and family. So that is incorporated into our approach. We are asking kids and families to join sessions if that seems feasible. And um, we have had parents join. We've not had any children join yet. Um, but I will say it's it's very crucial and we are keeping them uh, at the center of the story, which is in alignment with Opika's work as well. Um, speaking of aligned, we try to align the structure with our state's child welfare transformation. In addition to uh, the Family First implementation, our state has its own vision for how child welfare looks in the future. And part of that is uh, keeping kids at home or as close to home with as many services as possible um, and out of placement. That is alignment aligned with FFPSA. Um, but the piece here is that we also are looking at what kind of services do we need to bring into that family home or into that relative home in order to be able to, um, you know, ensure this is, is successful for the young person and for their family. So that was in front of mind when we were developing this project, um, in addition to just the reality of our current continuum of care. We knew that we would not have enough resources um, for just one provider to be able to do it all. So we're asking people to come and try and say, uh, what services could the child benefit from and who can provide that service if you don't have one person who can provide the, the entirety. Um, we also made a focus to have the structure be streamlined. So I am that single point of contact for requesting a connection session. Um, we're maintaining a growing list of providers and those folks get communicated with on a weekly basis. Um, and as I mentioned, we are using that virtual platform. The other piece that was really important to us was that we keep the structure replicable. It may be that counties want to lift something like this within their own communities with the partners that they have at the table, um, rather than accessing it from the statewide level. So all of our materials are things that our, our placing agencies can take. They can utilize in their own communities if they'd like. Um, Milwaukee is an area where we have a lot of requests um, and they actually have stepped up and, and said that they want to participate to see if they can replicate this in their area rather than overwhelming our process with all of the referrals that they would likely have. Um, so we have some learning that's happening kind of simultaneously uh, in the process itself. I will also say people who are on this call, if there are materials that you want um, Word versions for, I'm happy to share those. 
you can beg, borrow, and steal anything that you would like um, if it seems like it's going to be helpful. Because for us, it's really about making sure that kids uh, get the care they need and and stay close to home whenever possible. So feel free to uh, to use anything. Yes, Ken. I've got to point out the reason I had a smile from ear to ear amongst the all the information you're sharing is that um, Wisconsin, in particular Milwaukee, with their wraparound approach and and their willingness to collaborate. And you embody that collaboration as well. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Wraparound should be everywhere if it's not. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> So in practice, just a little bit about what this looks like. Um, we do have the placing agency complete a request form. I get the session scheduled and I make sure that everybody has signed the MOU. So that we put a memorandum of understanding in place primarily because we have very limited time together and we wanted people who were coming to the session to know what was expected of them, to know what they could expect for the process and just kind of have that baseline understanding of, you know, this is how we're going to engage with one another when we're in the exceptions. So every person who participates with the exception of parents, we don't make them um, complete it unless they, they want to. Um, we ask them to sign an MOU and send it in. Um, we also send an email out to the group of providers who have stepped forward so that they can be informed about whether or not um, they want to participate in this session. We provide very basic information in that email, such as um, the plaything county, the child's gender and age, some of the diagnostic information so that they can determine whether or not um, it might be a good fit within their current um, group of kiddos that they're serving. So all of those things kind of get shared out on a weekly basis um, and a reminder emails because I do send a reminder email every morning that we have a session saying, hey, just a reminder, please show up. Um, and then we hold the session. And by the end of the session, we do have usually some resources identified and contact information that can be exchanged between providers and policing agencies. And as I mentioned, we ask folks to then complete a survey so that we can get information about what's working um, and what's not working with the process. I think it's really important for that evaluation to let people know that no feedback is bad feedback. It's a pilot. We're trying something different. There might be bumps. There might be things that we need to change, or we might just have a brilliant idea. And if that's the case, put it in the survey so that we can tap into that and make this as effective as possible. Um, I also do follow up with people afterwards, particularly with the placing agency, to let them know that resources um, were identified. Here are the um, here's the contact information for those folks. On occasion, I'll give a few different resource options that I'm aware of that maybe didn't emerge during the session. Um, and if we don't have uh, resources identified, I will continue to share that referral out with our provider agency to let them know. We didn't find a resource um, here is the child, you know, basic information. If you, if you think you might have something, please reach out to me. And then finally, we complete monthly reports. Um, our plan had been to complete one report after the pilot was about five months underway uh, to inform whether or not we were going to continue the pilot or discontinue it, um, try and transition it to someone else. And it became really evident after the first you know, three to four sessions that holding off on the information uh, and not presenting it until that time frame would be uh, possibly detrimental to some of our young people. So we wanted to provide that information on a monthly report um, to both the Department of Children and Families and the Department of Health Services. It's also going out to the participants because it's very important for me um, that they know how their work and how they're coming to the table is making a difference in addition to um, the recommendations that are being put forward so that they can advocate for things um, and know that this is not just uh, a session about resources, but it's really about doing that needs and gaps analysis for our state um, because we haven't been able to do that in other ways or at least our child welfare population. Another uh, kindred spirit moment where in, in uh, at Opeka, utilizing the data in real time is so really essential. The feedback loop that you're talking about, too, if I was a provider and trying to build capacity, you know, having some monies being brought down for all the diff different initiatives. What a great idea. Thanks. I, honestly, that is a piece of it, too. We've had a difficult time 
as the landscape has been shifting and we've had family first implementation and we've had, you know, our own um, department of children and families with their uh, transformation and, and where the direction they want to go in, just kind of figuring out where do we need providers? What do we need them to be doing? Who do we need them to be serving? Um, including areas of specialization because we haven't had a lot of specialized services in Wisconsin. We have a lot of general out-of-home care services that can serve kids with a variety of different needs. What we're seeing emerge here, um, particularly, uh, and I'll look at it in the diagnostic information in just a little bit, um, as, as children with diagnoses of autism, um, you know, okay, so can we build up those resources and supports for those young people? Um, it also points me in the direction of providers to do targeted outreach too. So I have a call um, either next week or the week after with the Autism Services Society in Wisconsin because we're not getting autism providers to the table for these sessions and we need them. Um, so my hope is that we'll be able to grow that resource and expand the provider pool in that capacity just by using the information that we've gathered thus far. And then you factor in that this is all being done during the continuation of a worldwide pandemic. I think that's successful right in and of itself. <laughs> it's definitely one of those moments where uh, because we're doing it virtual, we have kind of a luxury of going pandemic or pandemic. <laughs> Except for we know the real life implications for our provider agencies, the people who are delivering the services. Um, this is still very much being felt by them with, you know, vaccinations and employees getting sick and kids getting sick. Um, and, and just, you know, it has changed the workforce. I'm, again, I'm not saying it's the total change that underlies our workforce shortage, but it contributes to it, certainly. Um, so the the COVID pandemic definitely brought us into the world of technology and connecting with people on a statewide basis like we were never doing before. And that has created opportunities for providers and counties to partner. Um, and this, you know, was, was developed in a way um, where there are a lot of people could inform what we were going to do, and that would not have been possible. So I think you know, silver lining to things, right? We, we definitely gained something, even though we've certainly lost quite a bit from um, our experience over the last two going on three years. So since we launched our pilot, um, we have had 68 individuals sign up to be providers from 31 different agencies. Um, I do want to be really transparent that this is a weakness of our pilot. We have to get more people at the table. Um, I've done some, in addition to reaching out to folks who provide autism services, I've done some direct outreach to others who like Safe Families for Children and um, you know, others in our disability community to say, these are kids that are coming forward. They're not necessarily, they've got some um, challenges that we need help in, in addressing. And so to continue to recruit, um, hopefully part of this process or this webinar will result in some additional providers who want to come to the table because we need you. And so to keep getting that message out is, is huge. Um, on the other side, we have had 94 individuals from 19 counties who have participated. Um, and that's either they've signed up and they have a session coming or they've actually been part of a session. Um, so we've had this was, yes, completed as of the end of April. We've had 21 requests for our pilot um, and we completed eight sessions in April. What I will say is that we started with two sessions per week um, and did not want to have people waiting more than 30 days to get a session. So we did need to add a third session. We are an incredibly small team at WAFCA. We have four people, but not four FTE. So um, we actually had to say that's probably we're at our capacity for um, operating this. So we are not going to be able to add additional sessions for May. Um, but we do know who we're serving. So we have primarily been seeing males come forward in request sessions. Um, although we know that in our state, we do not have enough capacity to serve female youth. So that is an ongoing point of conversation. And most of our young people coming forward are in that kind of, you know, right on the cusp of that transition age, um, age 16. We do in Wisconsin have foster care extension. However, it only applies to individuals 
if they are in school full-time and on an IEP. Most of the young people that we're seeing in these sessions are on IEPs, but they are not in school full-time, nor is it realistic to think that just with the way that our service system is set up and with their unique needs that they will be likely to be in full-time. So we have a gap there. Uh, we are also seeing most of the kiddos coming through are um, on a child in need of protection and services order rather than a juvenile in need of protection and services order or a delinquency. Uh, we do know that most of our young people who end up on delinquency orders have a child welfare history. So we're keeping an eye on that. Um, and right now we haven't seen uh, any of the young people come forward from the delinquency uh, section, I would say subsection of our population but we do anticipate that some will be. Um, their current residents. So we decided that we really wanted to explore where are they right now? Um, and a lot of our kids, even though it's being reflected here, you know, 50% are either in a mental health institution or in detention because they don't have other places for them to go or because they have needs that are that high that they're requiring hospitalization. Um, Otherwise, we are seeing some kiddos, you know, in the other portions of the out-of-home care system, which is about what we would expect. As far as diagnostic information, um, we are keeping track of the conditions that our young people are, are um, being diagnosed with. And part of this is in Wisconsin, we have our Department of Children and Families and our Department of Health Services separated. We used to be the Department of Health and Human Services, I believe, and um, that separation occurred back in, I believe, 2009. So a lot of our young people that are coming through the child welfare door, no doubt have behavioral health, mental health challenges. Um, so we need to see are we serving our kids in the right system? And while they come in through the child welfare door, um, is there a better place or a better way for us to serve them once they're in that system so that we're able to meet their needs uh, in, in, with behavioral health and mental health? What is really, really uh, salient to me and hopefully all of you here is that our kids are being diagnosed with ADHD uh, across the board. And I don't want to say that ADHD doesn't exist. It absolutely does. But when I see that I have eight of my kiddos who are diagnosed with ADHD and I have one with a history of abuse and neglect, it tells me that our clinicians are maybe missing something and, or that we're maybe not sharing information in a way that we need to be sharing information so that they understand that there is trauma underlying a lot of what's happening for this young person. Um, so otherwise, you know, what we're seeing is not out of line with, I think, what we expected to see, which was we're seeing some disruptive mood disorder, reactive attachment disorder. A lot of the reactive attachment disorder um, and diagnoses are uh, connected to those kiddos who have the adoption disruptions, which is not surprising. And here's where I talked about the autism spectrum disorder as well. Um, so this is just from eight sessions, what we're, we've seen across the board. I can tell you having done, you know, sessions in Maine now too, all of these are, are reappearing. So um, I don't think we have any new disorders that are, are coming forward, um, but it's just really good for us to be able to have an eye on who needs what. Absolutely. And this pilot actually began April 1st. So to yeah. have this, this this information and, like you said, finding out that maybe there's a more of a deeper dive to go into the back, the history and trauma. So that's incredible. That really is. It's definitely important. Um, the data nerd in me was very excited about the fact that we would be getting this information and we would be able to turn it around very quickly because I do think that um, as you learn in real time, those aha moments or those possible solutions get identified. And so after every single session, um, the facilitator, I have a co-facilitator in this, he stays on. We talk about what did we see? What did we hear? You know, what do we, what systemically can we do differently 
so that uh, we can then put that information in the report that we push back to the departments. And you're building a trauma-informed system because you're shifting away from, you know, what's wrong with you, just, just looking at the ADHD as a diagnosis versus what's happened to you with that question being answered to find out deeper. So that's incredible, too. I love that, Ken. Thank you. I actually hadn't done that whole little um, analysis myself, but that's, I'm really glad you pointed that out because that's exactly what we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the word of today is incredible. That I, I, I'm going to probably use it more. Uh, I don't know, maybe a thousand more times, but that really is incredible that you keeping a system in terms of trauma informed. Thank you. We we always have room to grow in that space to become more trauma informed. So, um, yeah, and we also we're, we really are trying to understand the common challenges to say which of our kids are are difficult to place. We saw, like I said in the beginning, okay, these are kind of the characteristics of some of the kids who are being served out of state. This is telling us we do need to figure out what kind of services we are going to develop to better serve our kids who are behind academically, who are engaging in physical aggression, not only toward adults, but towards children to a lesser extent, which is is good to see. Um, and, And really what our folks are struggling with. So we know we've got deceased parents. We have parents who are struggling with their own mental health. Um, We have kiddos who have some sexualized behavior because we are seeing that uh, stat that I I had up earlier um, that said 83% have been impacted by sexual abuse. That, That trend is holding true. So how do we address that better within our service systems uh, so that we can make sure we're responding to the challenge and what's underlying the challenge in order to receive the services that hopefully help the child heal. Ultimately, we really want to better inform kind of that continuum growth and advocacy piece. So um, I have the monthly report. If that's something that people want me to share up, I can I can definitely do that. Um, but we are saying, here's what we're seeing. Here's what how we're interpreting some of the data and some of the information that's coming forward. And here are some recommendations that we think might help improve the system. Um, we also, we're an advocacy organization. Um, and part of what we are doing is working with legislators to say we need these resources. And now we have, I mean, here's why we need them that we can kind of put behind this. So they are going to be used to inform budget asks. Um, and then we are also using information to help us understand what we need to do differently. We did add 15 minutes for kind of some case consultation and brainstorming options based on the survey feedback that we had gotten. Um, and we also ended up adding that Wednesday morning session because of the number of requests that we were receiving. I will say that the requests um, have been across the board as far as kiddos who are at risk, how people are defining at risk and out of state placement. Some are already out of state and they're having, um, they need to come back to our state or they're being discharged and why would we just charge them to another state? So we're having them come back um, ideally. And some of our young people are with a relative and and are struggling there and have gone in and out of care um, because of their mental health conditions. So we are working really hard to make sure that we know, again, what those needs are and um, and leave that at-risk determination up to the placing agency who's going to best know, you know, what the... Um, placement options are for these young people or what they've already tried. So um, we have had most of our kiddos at least leave uh, the sessions with options. So uh, options kind of have ranged from day treatment uh, services to out-of-home care placement in a residential setting, Um, to mentoring or in-home services for those who are with relatives. So we've had different resources. Um, The whole point at the end of the session is to give that uh, contact information and that options to the placing agency so they can coordinate care. 
77% of the time in April, we were able to do that. Um, but is it working? We don't really know. So we are definitely happy, happy to be trying something new. Our kids need us. We're going to continue tracking this information. We are waiting to hear back from the counties who had sessions in April um, to hear whether or not those options panned out and they were, they were able to keep the child in state. Um, and as we continue to look at those things, then we will continue to evaluate whether or not it's effective. And that, is, I think that I will is, take a pause. No, right. And, and, and I'm seeing a lot of people asking for um, the, uh, the information that you're sharing. Um, and I mentioned to them that uh, we'll provide your contact information. So I'm absolutely certain you'll receive a lot of uh, uh, reach <laughs> outreach uh, regarding questions and, and uh, how they can learn from all the work that you're doing. But something comes to my mind in terms of uh, you mentioned uh, of the work around autism. What we're finding and what I've been listening to uh, from across the country is um, the need for uh, the um, uh Duly diagnosed those individuals with a mental health challenge, as long as long along with rather a substance use. Um, uh, have you seen any of that, or do you expect to see any of that as a, a part of the building capacity? We have actually only had run one request thus far where there has been kind of a co-occurring um, mental health and substance use disorder. Uh, that said, we also know that substance use is kind of underreported by some of our young people. So it's possible that we, we have more who are struggling. It's just not their uh, main issue that's being identified. And I absolutely love the fact that when you look at coordinating around different departments and uh, the system that I served had developed a department of children and families back in 2006, about two, almost six years to get uh, all of children's services, including addiction service and treatment, uh, those services that are connected to those children with autism. Um, so it was really, uh, yeah, it was certainly something that needs to be built <laughs> across the country. Yeah. I see that a lot of people are putting in their names and that thank you from all over the, the country. And I'm wondering if, if uh, since I got the, the microphone, maybe I can ask another question. Uh, yeah. When you have all that, that, that data, and this project's going to go from April 1st to September 30th, so it's six months. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to reevaluate during that time. Um, knowing where services are and coordinate that, uh, I think the term is geomapping, where you can see where where things are. Um, is that also something that you're, you're thinking about? Uh, yes. Yeah, so not particularly. Um, that's not something our agency can lift. We did um, make the recommendation to the department before launching this um, to engage with that. We have a system called Jeepers. It's Geographic Placement Resource System, I think. Um, and it has a lot of good information about foster homes who are available to serve these young folks. Um, and even some information about our group homes, residential care facilities, shelter care facilities. Um, but it doesn't have information about the rest of the continuum of care, nor is there a mechanism in our child welfare uh, system to push a referral out or connect with a provider via that system. So we are definitely, I mean, we need to, as a state, bring our system up um, to a place where we can better and, and more quickly communicate with one another because we're getting in our own way right now. And again, every state's going through this whole process. The fact that you're taking it on and moving it forward uh, rather than just kicking it down the the road is is really very impressive and and uh, so respect you know respected because it it's not a easy task to do and you have to start somewhere and you're doing it incredibly well um, and I'm seeing people again highlighting all the places they're coming from so you're you're gonna get a lot of emails um, and the the other thing is that the um, family involvement. Um, I know a lot about a, a, a time when a child's uh, out of home, keeping the families involved. Um, has there been any any talk with regards to um, you know family supports, or has there been anything added to the this? families? Yeah, the the families that have participated um, in our sessions have 
been the adoptive parents who are struggling to maintain a child in their home. Um, and so that really is kind of informing our advocacy around post-adoption supports. We do have a couple of agencies in Wisconsin who do a really good job of providing support to families. Um, but one of the things that we've said is, okay, so looking at these, these foster parents turned adoptive parents who've done a really great job taking kiddos into their home who've had really significant trauma histories and managing their behaviors within the household for so long up until that point where they can't, um, that we need to do a better job of saying, you don't have to struggle on your own. And the post-adoption resources are provided during that time of um, transition usually. So as the child's in the, in the, adoptive placement before they go through the adoption, they're, they're certainly made aware that these resources exist. But once uh, an adoption occurs, oftentimes families are like, I'm so over the system. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm, I'm stepping away. And then they, rather than stepping back out and saying, okay, actually we, we need help in this area. Um, they're just trying to manage it on their own. And they have a lot of skills and a lot of abilities. So for the most part, they're successful doing that for a period of time. And then puberty hits. And we're seeing that that is kind of the moment where it's, a, it's a, a different kiddo that you're working with. It's different struggles that they're experiencing. So, you know, thoughts about we have home visiting for, for young kids. Can we do some home visiting when there's a child put in an adoptive home to say, hey, congratulations. You know, you've had someone has been part of your family, your forever family for a year. How are things going? Mm-hmm. And doing that reg- more regularly, like, let's just check in and give them an opportunity to say, like, actually, I'm kind of, kind of struggling. Um, these things are happening, you know, and get resources in place before the, the burnout happens. Um, these, are, these are not, you know, kiddos who have easy histories to heal from. They've got a lot of trauma that they're healing from. And so for us to continue to check in, I think would maybe serve everyone well. And and anyone's on the call who's a parent and my being a parent for three, uh, three kids who've gone through that process, it is definitely something where um, the manual that you're given, (laughs) there was had to be rewritten during that time. Yeah. But you're, you're um, I know I have to give props and we're almost uh, out of time, but the props that go to uh, Milwaukee Wraparound in particular and building capacity and, and the, the uh, um, building local community support, such as the family support organization in the system in which I worked, uh, which is part of New Jersey's children's system of care. They had uh, parents and these were uh, accessing services and supports um, in, in ways, preventative um, support groups. Hey, I need some help or assistance here navigating it. Um, that was all created and and uh, done with uh, the help of Milwaukee Wraparound. So I do have to give absolute kudos and uh, uh, credit um, of, of that Milwaukee and and uh, Wisconsin. You all get it. <laughs> you really do, and you share and uh, and and just thinking. Um, maybe one of my last questions is that. Um, Going into this in your month, uh, almost, uh, you know, the, in the second month, was there any preconceived ideas that you kind of see bubbling uh, in terms of an outcome? Or did you just keep this project where we'll find out what we find out and we know what we know right now? And Or do you have some ideas of what might be the, the outcome in six months? Um, I think that we knew that we would get a lot of good information about how the system needs to move, the direction it needs to move. Um, but we're we're getting better information than I, I thought we would. Um, I think we're also seeing that um, we, we do get in our own way when it comes to sharing information. And to have it be um, kind of an open platform and trust one another with the information that's being shared says a lot about our relationship and is probably not something that um, would have happened a while back because we haven't come together and kind of tried to partner and do things differently. So my hope is that my hope from the very beginning was that this would start to bridge the divide between placing agency partners and providers to um, show, you know, we're really truly all in this together. And um, 
And so I'm, I'm seeing that starting to emerge a little bit through the session feedback. Um, and if ultimately we can get to a place where that's how we function and we know that, you know, uh, when we, when we work together, regardless of the hat that we're wearing, if we're wearing a placing agency hat or a provider hat, um, that we're ultimately here to meet the needs of the kids and families. And we may have disagreements about how that looks or what that looks like, but we're going to trust the experience um, and the expertise of the people who are all working to make sure that the kids and families get the services that they need. Well, again, I said it before, I'll say it again, a kindred spirit, because we moving from systems of care, which has been around since the 80s, 1980s, and then shifting towards systems that care, you are truly uh, a model for this, uh, this approach and this outcome. So Emily, I can't thank you enough. I know on behalf of Opika, but also all the attendees today, taking time out to share uh, what you're doing against just starting and building this plane while you're flying it. Uh, is so appreciated. Uh, um, thank you. And uh, I am happy to do it. I appreciate being asked. Well, again, here at Opeka, and I'll just open it up if there's any last questions. Otherwise, I will thank everyone. And please uh, tune in because I, I'm hoping we can check back with you to see how the progress goes and what direction you'll take it in um, down the road in September, the fall. And uh, so I don't see any other questions. And I, I believe... My colleague hasn't uh, uh, pinged me. So thank you. And thank you all for taking time out. And um, if you have any other questions about what Opika does, what um, Emily does, um, the way you do that is just simply ask, reach out. And it's our goal to bring these uh, webinars to everyone because we need to be innovative and we can be innovative. And you've shown that. So thank you very, very much, Emily. Thank you. All right. You take care. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Innovation and Care Collaboration Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or Google, and join us each week as we invite in thought leaders in health and human services to discuss the latest trends in healthcare and technology.